Spotify, AM uh, 640. Bill Handel here. It's a Saturday. And right after this show, it's uh, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. And he's on uh, both today and tomorrow, uh, 11 to 2 o'clock. And then Neil Saavedra, the Fork Report. And uh, Neil, of course, uh, every Friday is on with me. I keep on forgetting who's who because I have so many. No, I don't. Uh, But I have Neil on Friday and always love talking food. So today he'll be talking whatever he talks about. Food. Okay, let's just just do it. This is getting way too confusing. This is Handle on the Law. Marginal legal advice where I tell you you have absolutely no case. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, on YouTube a site called Daddy05. And what these videos are, are really screwing over kids. Dads and moms playing uh, these horrible pranks on kids. So there is a Maryland husband and wife, uh, Michael and Heather Martin, have been sentenced to five years probation. And here's what they did. They went ahead and posted uh, on Daddy05, their channel, and it showed Heather spreading what she said was disappearing ink around a room. Then she called her kids in and recorded their reaction, and they were blamed for the stains in a vicious, profanity-laden diatribe. And then uh, what the Daddy05 account does is, or in this case, the children were in tears. They were denying it. Uh, They were just hysterical. And they went out on YouTube. Of course, uh, it uh, went viral and uh, they were uh, convicted, or they pled guilty to uh, child neglect, and got five years probation. They should have gotten more than that. But uh, when you have a couple of kids, what are you going to do with parents? You know, you got to throw them in jail. All right, let's go ahead and take some phone calls. Hello, Nancy. Yes. Yes, ma'am. We have a trust, and we have four kids. Uh, we give him some money now to one of the kids. Can my husband write the letters and you supersede the trust? No. Oh. No, the trust has to be amended. Oh, the trust. Oh, yes. The trust itself has to be amended. You can write all the letters you want, and it doesn't matter. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Letter to supersede the trust. When I threaten to take the trust away from my kids because they won't behave, uh, when my daughters don't pay attention, and I always threaten to, okay, you're out, you're done, I actually have to change that trust. And so I've done a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, I have had, I, if you look at the number of trusts that I have changed, it is a stack about two and a half feet high because I change it so often. But the trust has to be changed. Hello, Judy. Welcome to Handle on the Law. How can I, uh, how can I ensure that a vacation home that my husband and I purchased with my daughter and son-in-law, 50-50, will, uh, will, they'll inherit it full, fully upon our demise? All right. Well, you can do it in um, joint tenancy, which automatically, when you die, boom, it goes to them. Uh-huh. Uh, that's probably the cleanest way of doing it. I mean, it depends on well, how is the house being held now. What is uh, how is the deed being? Uh, how is the deed deed written? Boy, you know what? I'm not quite sure. I think it's tenants in common. I think it's tenants yeah. in common. Then what you do is okay. Then the tenancy. It. Then the common tenancy. That part of it either goes into a trust. Probably just go. The will deals with it and it gets transferred, or you t- or you change the whole thing to joint tenancy, and then so then joint you. Tenancy. 
tenancy would be the way to go. And yeah. I do have a living trust. Uh, well, the, unless the house is in the trust, it doesn't help you. It is in the trust. Oh, then you then the trustee just does what the trustee does. Even if I have another daughter, that's what my daughter's concerned with. The other daughter's going to inherit uh, our fifty percent. Well, it depends on how it depends on how the trust is written. Okay, all right. If uh, so, it's not owned fifty fifty. It's owned by the trust. Correct. And the terms of the trust are that it's 50-50, that it will be transferred to one daughter, the other daughter, both daughters, correct? Yes. Then you don't do anything except uh, make sure the trustee uh, does what the trustee is supposed to do under the terms of the trust. And you're going to be dead anyway, so I don't know how you're going to do that. (laughs) All right. uh, Why not? Finally got to that one. Uh, Antonio, welcome to Handle on the Law. Yes, sir. Yes, I have a debt collector coming up for me. Um, they called me and they said they were going to file with the court. Um, I asked when the account was closed. She advised me that it was closed back on fe- February the 7th of 2012. Is that... Uh, when is it, uh, Antonio, when's the last time you made a payment on it? It's been uh, six years. Yeah, I'd say they have nothing to do. They can file all the lawsuits they want, Antonio. Do I need to show up if they do a summons? Uh, if they do a summons, uh, what you do is answer the summons, and uh, you actually say you have an affirmative defense. I, I, what I would do, if they send a summons, I'd call them and say, you know what? The statute has uh, has already been passed, and what you're doing is malicious prosecution. They're using the legal system to prosecute you, you know, and, and they can't do that. They're not allowed to. They're using that to extort you, the filing of a lawsuit. And that is a big-time violation for them. And let them know, if you file a lawsuit with the the debt no longer being able to be sued on because of the statute, I'm going to go after you legally. And if you want to do it, and put it in writing. Send them an email and say, you know the statute has already passed and you're still taking me to court. That's illegal. Okay. I try calling them back. Don't worry about it. No, you don't want to call anybody. You want to do it all in writing. Okay. All right. All yeah. right. Ignore the, uh, oh, I called them. No, no, no. Phone calls are off the record when you're dealing with stuff like that. Uh, hello, Ryan. Welcome to Handle on the Law. Ryan, about an HOA. I bought a condo about 17 years ago. And when we bought the condo, the real estate agent told us he thought that the, the condo came with three parking spots. Uh, we finished the, finished the purchase, and then I contacted the HOA to see where that third spot was. And they said, oh, no, you don't have a third spot. And I said, okay, well, no big deal. We didn't pay extra for it or anything. Uh, come to find out um, about two months ago I, I, that we looked at the third spot, and the HOA has been storing their um Well, hold on. Uh, you in, wait a sec. You do have yeah. a third spot? There is a third spot available that is supposed to be mine. Yeah. Well, hold on a minute. It's a, Look at your purchase agreement. What does it say? How many spots do you get under that purchase agreement of the condo? Okay, I would have to look. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, then it doesn't – then I can't answer the question. If it yeah, says you have three spots, then you own three spots. doesn't matter what the uh, real estate agent told you. There it is in writing. For example, what if the real estate agent said it was $200,000 and you look at at it and you go, well, it's $220,000. So you're only going to have to pay $200,000 because he told you that? Right. No, of course not. All right. So that's that's what's going on the same same way. You have to look at the original agreement. What does it say? That's how many spots you get. 
This is Handle on the Law. This is KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Bill Handle here. Welcome back. And welcome back to Handle on the Law, marginal legal advice. Oh, Cindy, Cindy. Hello, Cindy. Welcome. Hi. Yes, ma'am. I was calling regarding a surgery that I had done uh, back in October of uh, 2015. Um, I had a seizure. I didn't realize I had a meningioma, and a meningioma is a tumor in the brain. Um, that's in your meninges, so there's like your skull, then there's this gooey stuff, and that's in your brain, then there's your brain. So this was in the gooey stuff. And uh, long story short, uh, I had a surgery done. The doctor felt confident everything was good, had an MRI done. Three um, months after my surgery, everything was good and clear. And then, um, you know, I continued to see him not very often. He said after that one initial MRI that uh, I can come back in another year and check it out. Um, So I said, okay, fine. And um, literally almost a year later, I started having headaches and symptoms, and we went to get an MRI um, on my husband's advice, had the MRI done, and they realized that I now had two tumors. Okay, so you have two tumors, and... So, so my question is this, I did have a surgery, have that one removed, but I feel that I don't want to sue this doctor for malpractice, but what about quality of care? He should have been monitoring me more often. All right, and uh, okay, so assuming he should have been monitoring uh, you more often. Now, uh, the standard of care, did he blow that? In other words, would another doctor in this area, would he have uh, discovered it sooner would he have removed it? Does it make any difference? I mean, I'm assuming you have gone to a neurosurgeon and asked that question and had another doctor give you a second opinion, correct? Correct. And the doctor did say that the first doctor blew it. First doctor, uh, second doctor, they all know each other. So, uh, that's, they, so they're not going to say anything, right, correct. is what you're saying? Absolutely. Well, then, uh, what are you going to do? Think about that. Are you actually going to get on the stand, sending, oh, in my opinion... I don't think the doctor did what's appropriate. The doctor says, of course I did what's appropriate. He brings a bunch of his doctors saying, of course he did what's appropriate. Uh, And so where are you going to go with that, Cindy? Well, the thing is this. uh, On my paperwork, as indicated in the first surgery, I had something called an atypical. An atypical is a big... Yeah, Cindy, I don't don't care. Are you actually going to start talking medical talk in court? I think that what... I, they would probably have to hire a medical, uh, you know, professional. You're, you're going to have, that's right, you are going to have to hire someone that right. will take your case. That's right. Right. And so uh, do you have any idea what, just to let you know, do you have any idea what medical experts cost? Uh, probably very expensive. Yeah, $5,000 a day, some $10,000 a day. And that's just for the testimony, not counting uh, looking at all of the files. Uh, Cindy, here's what you have to do is uh, you have to and you're not going to be able to find a, a doctor that'll do that. You have to go to a lawyer, a medical malpractice attorney who will pull the file, the medical file, will then show it to a doctor right. who, incidentally, will have no problem testifying against doctors who blow it because that's what they do for a living, Cindy. Right. And uh, then you'll see if there's anything there. My guess is based on what you said, I don't know what lawyer is going to take that on. Only because, Cindy, 
the cost of doing this kind of a case is tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you're not dead. Uh, what you had is, what, did you go through a second surgery? Are you terminal because of that uh, second tumor? Uh, what what are your damages, realistically? Well, realistically, uh, the damage was uh, the fact that I had to go back. Yeah, and, no, I get it. It's so invasive. You, it's so, invasive to yes, get, it is. It's invasive. How much does you think that's worth? Well, besides pain and suffering and all that, you know, I don't know what to tell you. How much do you think that's worth? I, I think it's worth several hundred thousand dollars. All right. Then it's up to you to find a lawyer that agrees with you, Cindy. So you get to go to medical. You get to go to a medical malpractice attorney. The defense is it would have happened anyway. The defense is uh, it. We don't know when that second tumor occurred. And if you don't know when or have a very good idea, there's nothing there. But the standard of care for I, where I am now is. And how, how do you every three months I should okay. get an MRI? And he and, and the doctor did and the and doctor didn't do did, it. If they did do an MRI after that first initial MRI in three months, maybe they would have seen something. Maybe they would have seen something. What if that something didn't? What if they didn't occur until six months later? That that doesn't matter. If they did it, Cindy, Cindy, you're making a medical determination. You are sitting there pretending you're a neurosurgeon. You're talking like a neurosurgeon. And the first thing that the opposing lawyer is going to ask you on the stand, Cindy, where did you go to medical school and where did you do your neurosurgery residence? And my answer would be, I've been educated oh. by talking to there you go. My doctors. No, you're right. You're right. You've been educated by talking to doctors, and that's certainly going to hold as much water as a neurosurgeon who has been in practice for 25 years because you were talking to another doctor. Uh, by the way, how many surgeries have you done by talking to other doctors? The, the point is, that obviously, I'm not educated. Yeah, Cindy, you're, I don't, you're making the argument as if uh, you already know the answer. And that is medical malpractice. You want several hundred thousand dollars. You have a dead-bang winner. I said malpractice. I said quality that is, of That care. is malpractice, Cindy. Quality of That care. is malpractice. Well, that is, by definition, care. by definition, that's malpractice. Cindy, now I'm going to ask you, since you know the law, where did you go to law school? Since you're now defining medical malpractice for me, as well as determining what a neurosurgeon does, my God, you are one talented woman, Cindy. I got to tell you, I'm impressed. I've never, I rarely talk to someone who is both a neurosurgeon, top of the line, and a medical malpractice uh, attorney, excellent medical malpractice attorney. Why call me? I'm an idiot with both. I don't know crap about medical malpractice, and I certainly know crap about neurosurgery. No, that's not true. I know where the brain is. It's in your head. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. God. Do I get, do I get a little impatient here? No, I actually let her go through. No, you know what? Uh, no, no, no. I, I get it. I actually let her go through this. This is Handle on the Law. KFI AM 640. Bill Handle. Saturday morning. This is Handle on the Law. Uh, Jay, hello, Jay. Welcome. Thank you. Yes. Uh, how do you how do you trademark a name and a phrase? Well, you go you you apply for trademark. You make an application. You tell them what the name or the phrase is, and if it's unique enough, you're going to get it. But if it's generic, it's too generic. They're not going to give it to you. The trademark uh, office makes that decision. Okay. So where do you get the form? So from you can go on. You go on the internet. 
You can go on the internet, look at trademark, uh, and they'll give you all the forms you need. Excellent. Thank okay. you. All right. What do you do? Uh, by the way, what do you need a trademark for? What What are you trying to trademark? I have a medical uh, television program that explains. It, it has a a part of it that is a more of a what do you call it um, of a uh, a journey. It, it explains. It puts you puts people in the experience of of medical issues. Okay. And, uh, and so and uh, you very unique. got it. And have you sold it? Have you done a pilot? Have you done any of that? Yes, I have done all of that. Oh, wow. And who are you selling it to? Uh, medical uh, providers and medical uh, yeah, equipment and uh, uh, medicine uh, providers. And what are they and what are they going to do with the film? Well, they're going to uh, advertise within it. They're going to market uh, and you and you've made some and you've made some sales already. Yes, I have. Wow. And you haven't trademarked it yet? It, it happened too quickly. It, it, it was just something, it was, it was an idea that we had. We put it together and pitched it to a couple of people and they bought into it. So now we're, we're trying to play catch up. Yeah, no kidding. I trademark uh, that. Too. Oh, yeah. Immediately. The name of the show, whatever it is, and then some kind of phrase. You know, where That's medicine right. comes into your house or something you can come up with. Now, would this be something I go to um, handle with a handle? Yeah, you can do that. You can go trademark. Yeah, we have uh, trademark lawyers. Yeah. Copyright okay. trademark lawyers. Yeah, go to handleonthelaw.com. We have those. Great. All right. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I just came up with that idea, and yep, we pitched it. We made a pilot, and people have already bought into it. How often does that happen, huh? Ralph. Hello, Ralph. Welcome. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Yes, sir. I just want to know if... Uh, bankruptcy is a business tool. Well, it can be. Uh, in, in what sense? Uh, give me a scenario where you would ask that question that you're either involved with or you're considering. Okay, I am an independent owner-operator. I lease my truck and my trailer to a company in auto transport. The government has said that the trucks that are X amount of years old are non-emissions compliant in California, so you're forced to get something new. I can't afford a brand new one. I can get a new truck and put it onto my existing chassis, but it still takes quite a bit of money. I was planning on retiring from this with my current truck, but that's not no longer feasible. So I'm contemplating on spending the money and you know and uh, every all the money that it takes to keep it going, to refurbish my current situation is going to be expensive, but uh, once I got all that together, I'll be able to work. But I Okay, where's ban- where does bank- where does bank- bankruptcy uh, come into play here, Ralph? <clears throat> the amount of money that I'm going to spend. Yeah, I'm you've already spent back. the money. Where's the bankruptcy? No, I have not spent the money. Yeah, but what, why would you go bankrupt? Well, uh, I won't be able to pay it back. Oh, that no. Okay, got it. So you would borrow the money to do that, right? Yes. All right, that's fraud. Okay. That's fraud outright. Is fraud. Okay. Yeah, and not only can you not do that, that's criminal. Gee, can I borrow money and not pay it back? Thinking of it as a tool for business, sure. Why not? Uh, yeah. Uh, all right, Jay. Hi, Jay. Hey, yes. Hey, Jay. Bill Handel. Jay, what's going on? Hey, uh, anyways, what we got here is my uh, neighbor's... Are you... Hey, wait, Jay, I'm having a hard time understanding you. You're not on a speakerphone, are you? 
Yes, I am, as a matter of fact. How about getting off the speakerphone and, and just picking up the receiver? Bill, I can't do that. I'll have to call you back on your game line then. Okay, bud? Yeah, all right. Can't do that. I don't know. All right. No idea why, but fair enough. All right, Charles. Hello, Charles. Welcome. Yes. I have a question. My uh, ex-wife living with her with her mother, and her mother did, did a reverse mortgage, and she was living with her mother. She was also over 62 when her mother did the reverse mortgage, and her, her mother kind of assumed that when she gave the house to her daughter that the reverse mortgage would go that way. She was a kind of sound mind. And the daughter has no legal right to be there? Now. Right. Did her mother have passed away? Yeah. Who owns the house? The house goes to whoever gave her the reverse mortgage, and it has to be sold. They want their money. Yeah. They want their money, Charles. It's not a question of you die and then the next person dies and then the next person dies and we're never going to get our money back. It's an investment, well, Charles. Yes. It doesn't go it doesn't go to it doesn't go to her daughter. Right. It doesn't. That's all there is to it. It it stops. When mom dies, it's over. It's done. Mother's completely dead as is the mortgage. Kathy. Hi Kathy. Yes. Yes. Hey, um, I was calling because uh, I wanted to find out if I have a case for a hostile work environment. All right. Tell me what happened. Okay. I've worked for a company for over 20 years, and they're in San Diego. Ten years ago, I moved to Utah, and I've been working remotely. The company hires a new general manager last year, and he uh, promoted a an account manager that was also newly hired to marketing, and this person reports directly to him. And during the course of the last year, he's slowly, uh, you know, taken responsibilities away from me, doesn't reply to emails, doesn't provide me, you know, the information I need to do my job, and says that uh, basically now I don't have a job and I can't work remotely, even though the gal that he's having sex with in the office, she lives in in town at where the office is located, and she works remotely. Yeah, How so how is it that it's a hostile work environment? It's certainly unfair, Kathy. I mean, I'm not arguing that this is horribly unfair, but where is it a a hostile work environment? Well, like, for instance, uh, I'll send him an email that I need uh, new pictures so Uh so that I can post accurate information on their Facebook page, and he doesn't send me everything. All right, that's that's not a hostile work environment. It's just he doesn't do, he's not doing what you ask him to do. Right. He doesn't like you. I mean, literally, that's all he has to say. You know, I'm not, I'm not thrilled with Kathy. Yeah. So, um, now if he fires you because he says you didn't do the job and you didn't respond in time and you show you responded in time and, uh, you, you can prove that. Uh, he's the one that did it and forced it. Effectively, he fired you just coming up with a uh, uh, some kind of a BS reason. Now, you work. Are you in? in are you in Utah? I'm in Utah, but I work for a company in California. Uh, well, it really doesn't matter because it would be. Okay. It would. I think it would be the Utah law. But uh, you've got. You have to separate out the affair business. Uh, you have to simply look at what he is doing versus what he should be doing. And that's not a hostile work environment because uh, you're sitting someplace uh, and there's no hostility there. He's just not letting you do your job, which he's allowed to do. Okay. He just doesn't like you, which he's allowed to do. And he can say, you know what? Uh, I, 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 she should know what I need and she should be asking in a different way. Any reason he can come up with anything, Kathy, uh, he is legitimate. You, you unfortunately have nothing there. Okay, yeah. so, and it's okay for him to let other people or his girlfriend work remotely. But sure. Nobody else at the company. Can absolutely. Do that. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. No, nothing legal, uh, legally 
wrong with that. Now, there may be some procedural issues. If I, if it's a big company and I find out one of my division heads is doing that, I mean, like, there's an issue. Goodbye. You're done. Uh, but other than that, no. No. You can favor people. You can promote people who are less qualified. You have every, every right to do that. You cannot cooperate with people. You have every right to do that. It's all fine. Just get the hell out of there. This is Handle on the Law. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Bill Handle here on a Saturday morning. Welcome back. This is Handle on the Law, marginal legal advice. Hi, hello, David. There you are. Got you quickly. What can I do for you? Hey, uh, Bill. Yes. Uh, uh, I had a terrible flight from uh, Tokyo to LAX on American Airlines. Uh, we got in, in the plane. We said I was there with my wife. And then I had to go to the restroom before the flight. And uh, I did one, came back. And then later on, a flight attendant uh, pulled me from my seat and said, come here. And I said, what's going on? So she said, you smoked in the laboratory. And I said, are you sure it was me? And she said, yes. You were the last one, and I saw you. And um, so I said, no, I'm not a smoker, and I'm taking medication for depression. I suffer from depression. And, um, and so we, are, we got into an argument, and, uh, and I said, no, I am not. But she continued accusing me. I pulled the supervisor for American Airlines from, from Tokyo, and he came on board. Oh, wait a sec. Hold on. So, she, so you were accused of smoking in the bathroom. You got into an argument, and then what happened? You went back to your seat? Well, they asked me if you don't go to if you don't go back to your seat, we're going right. to be playing you. Okay, I, so you went back to your and, seat, and then yeah, and I had filed uh, a complaint with the uh, okay. supervisor. All right. When I got back to LAX, um, I was uh, I was escorted from the plane by uh, federal officers and the uh, police airport, and um, and I said, "What's going on here?" He says, "Well, you got in, you obviously got into an argument." Uh, and you were smoking in the laboratory. And I said, no. And so they pulled all my carry-ons, and, uh, and they found my medication that I'm taking. And uh, uh, the police, one of the police officers said, no, this guy doesn't smoke. So I don't have nothing against him. So he, he left. And then the uh, federal agents, they went through all my stuff, finished, and, and they let me go. So I wonder if you don't want to sue them. Yeah, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah, David, you're going to have a hard time suing them. Uh, because uh, it's, it's the flight attendant is going to say, I saw you smoking, and obviously that disappeared. Uh, you're, if there's anybody at fault, other than her just lying about it, assuming that's all it goes down the way you described, that's is you got, into, you got into an argument with her. And I so, would, you, know, you didn't get into an argument with her. It, it was just, uh, it was not nasty, but very professional. It just, okay, uh, so I you didn't did get an argument. Talk. You just said, no, I didn't smoke. She says, go to your seat, and you went to your seat. Yeah. Okay. It took a little while until we. All got right. The, then I would. The, well, well, hold on. A little while. Describe to me what happened during that little while. Well, we we were going back and forth. And I was telling her to, that I did not, and she continued accusing me. And All then right. there was another uh, flight attendant said, "No, she didn't intend to say that." Ah. And I said, "Well, she did. She did." And then I, in front of the supervisor, I videotaped this. She asked me not to videotape, but I did. I, the supervisor gave me permission to videotape it. So, uh, you know, the supervisor in Japan. So. All right, video, and what did you videotape, David? 
uh, that she accused me of. Uh, All right. Smoking. So she so and, she and accused they, her wrongly. Yeah, you can make a complaint uh, with. Um, yeah, you could probably make a complaint. I would certainly go uh, to the airline and say this is the problem. She accused me of smoking. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't smoke. Uh, I don't have any cigarettes. They searched all my bags. I don't have any cigarettes. And she simply made it up. And this is what happened to me. And I want a formal and I want to file a formal complaint. And uh, then you want to maybe I don't know what you can do legally, but you can certainly hopefully give her some grief. And uh, that's about it. I don't think David uh, they didn't throw you off the flight. Uh, what they did is they physically removed you. Uh, and uh, how much time did you spend with the federal authorities after they pulled you off the flight? About an hour. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, make a. I'd file a yeah. complaint. I, I think on a federal level, you're gonna have a very hard time uh, because uh, the uh, the federal cops did exactly what they're supposed to do. They had a flight attendant say, "Hey, this guy was smoking. It was illegal." You say, "No, I'm not." You know what? There, it, it's not for them to investigate. At that point, whether you were smoking or not, and there's no way for them to ever know. They can't. They cannot say you were not smoking, David. Well, the thing is that I have pulled all my records from my medical. It doesn't matter. They cannot say you matter. were not smoking, David. I can have all the medical records of the world. Nothing stops me from lighting up a cigarette in the bathroom. Just because I'm on medications, that mean I'm not. Uh, I don't smoke. Just because I'm not a smoker, I can't have pulled one cigarette out of my pocket. But you can, but I well, would make I would make the complaint. I certainly would go to the airlines. That is uh, big time for sure. All right, Renee. Uh, hi, Renee. Welcome. Yes. Yes. Um, I just I just bought a home. It's a mobile home um, in a mobile home park. I live in a an expensive area. It was the only thing I could afford. Um, I bought it about three months ago. I just found out and I bought it for a higher price. One of the selling. Um, seller said that um, pay the higher price, it's a lower space rent. It was considerably lower, like $800 lower than the others. So I pawed the bit higher, and I just found out that there is a court proceeding that was not disclosed to me, that it turns out the owner of the mobile home park is selling, is basically making it a owner-occupied park, and now I'll have to buy the lot. All right. Well, first of all, do you have a lease? I have. Um, it's it, it's not a lease. It's a it's a month to month. Okay. So uh, they can raise the property as often they want, whenever they want. So that's for starters. Unless there's some kind of rent control situation. There's rent on. control. Then there's they're rent. then they're limited to whatever the rent control is. And right. uh, now I'm assuming that once the property is converted. Then, then all the rent control is off. I, I would guess, because otherwise he yeah. wouldn't do it. Now, uh, did the seller know that there was an issue going on prior to you buying a property? Absolutely. All right, and you, and you can prove, and you, if you yeah. have proof of that, then you can go ahead and sue the seller uh, okay. for certainly all of your money back. I mean, the whole thing, just bring it back to zero in any damages you have, moving in, et cetera. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, the wholesale price. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've been defrauded. Oh, You've been defrauded, Renee. Absolutely. Yeah. They yeah. sold it on purpose. Right. I get it. You've been defrauded. Yeah. They screwed you. Okay. I mean, they ripped you off. And so, yes, you can go after them. Now the trick is, hmm, you get a lawyer. There should be a sales agreement uh, that you signed. Obviously, if you're talking about a fairly expensive mobile home, how how, how expensive yeah. was the mobile home? 
300 and... Oh, yeah. So there's all kinds of... Oh, yes, yes, yes. You can bet there was all kinds of agreements in there. And there's probably yeah. a prevailing pro, uh, a prevailing uh, party lawyer's clause in there that says, uh, if you sue and you win, uh, then the seller's responsible. It's time to take it to a lawyer, Renee. Okay. Yeah, right. It said arbiter. There yeah, well, then you have to go to arbitration. Then it's time to go to arbitration. Okay. I mean, you have no choice. But you're going you're gonna to need a lawyer either way. Yeah, arbitration clauses where you agree, instead of going to court, you go to an arbitrator, either binding arbitration or not binding arbitration. Okay, this is Handle on the Law.